Let me read these couple of verses uh, for us. We now go to Romans 8, toward the end of the 8th chapter of Romans. And I'll explain to you why that I am here. But let me read these two verses for all of us. This is the word of the living God. In the same way, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts, that is God the Father, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Holy Spirit is, because he, that is the Holy Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. Let me tell you where we are in terms of um, this preaching and teaching. If you remember last year in Franklin Square, we were looking at Ezekiel 20. Ezekiel 20 taught me, and hopefully you, how sinfulness of sin, how wicked the sin really is. Generational sins there we have witnessed. Exodus generation, the desert generation, and Canaan generation. And now in that exile, in that time of Ezekiel, sin never left. And that Exodus was retold by God from God's perspective in Ezekiel 20. But at the end of that, what I have noticed is that God preserved that rebellious communion, Israelites. Only thing that kept him from annihilating them was for his own name's sake. But we know from the book of Exodus that it took Moses' intercession. So after Ezekiel 20, we went back to Exodus to get to Moses' intercession. That means intercessory prayer. So we were there going back to Exodus 19 and 20, and I had to deal with the law of God there. And we've been looking at the law of God for many weeks, and Easter came. And we were in John 19 and 20 for past few weeks. Now that we are out of John 20, I was thinking about which way I should go in terms of preaching and teaching. Um, I did not want to go back to Exodus again, but in terms of our church life as well. I wanted to get to the intercession, intercessory prayer, but also I thought because we are limited by uh, time of our worship on Sundays, and many restrictions still remain, we have to see what and how uh, things will open up in terms of all these coronavirus restrictions. So during this time, how should I leave this church? What can we do as a church? One thing was just keep popping up in my mind. That was prayer. What can we do during this time? This is God-given time for us to think about many different things. 
But maybe, maybe, because we do not have to do so many activities constrained by the current situation, maybe God is leading us to pray. So I want to get to the topic of prayer. I want to get, get to the topic of intercession. So I come to Romans 8, where we hear the word intercession many times. Before, however, we talk about prayer or intercession or intercessory prayer, I want us to begin today with the topic of self. As I was meditating on this verse, you know, I do not set out to make a series. Oh, let me talk about some kind of a series. Let me make my sermon a series. It's just that when I am typing, it becomes too long and I cut it off. That's how it becomes my sermon series. But as I was meditating upon this verse, I thought we need to begin really with the idea or the concept of self. And I'm going to explain why that is the case. First of all, Bible says in, the, in that section, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Unless you see yourself as being weak, as verse 26 says, we don't seek help from the Spirit. We don't need help as long as we think we are strong. And I thought, why do we not pray? Why don't we pray? People say we are busy or we are prideful. But also because we are too strong. We feel like we are strong. So I thought, for us to truly appreciate, for us to become a man and woman of prayer, first thing that we need to understand about ourselves is that not that go ahead and pray, let's do prayer meetings and things like that, but to see how weak we are. So inspired by the Holy Spirit, Apostle Paul doesn't say, guys, stop praying. But in the same way, the Spirit also helps our witness. That's where the topic of Holy Spirit's intercession comes in through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I want us to, today, think about self, the self. And I was thinking about the self this week, and a couple of things came to my mind. What are some of the things that are pulling us down? When we think about intercessory prayer or intercession or even self, I realized that it is not an exciting topic. For example, if I say for the next few weeks we are going to talk about leadership, Many of us will feel not burdened. But as soon as we introduce a topic like evangelism or prayer, many people, including even myself, we feel burdened. So I was thinking, why are we not excited about the topic of prayer? What is pulling us down? What are some of the 
unspoken presuppositions that we bring to the table when we hear the word intercession. So today, we just want to spend time thinking about biblical view of self. First thing that came to my mind, that gravitational pull, that, that we resist the topic of intercession, might be, I suspect, whether the American spirit of independence impedes our understanding of intercession or not. What is American spirit, if you would ask me? I don't know, I come and I look around. All human struggles, in some sense, at the core, it has rights. Whatever struggle you talk about. But it is more pronounced than anywhere else, than here, that the self or the, uh, my rights come to the fore. It is not a bad thing. So this week I read the declaration again. It's a long document, but we are familiar with it. But very famous sentence begins with this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We all know that. But if you keep reading that document, in the middle, it accuses British king in this way. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. And he gives a lot of lists why he is such a tyrant. And toward the end, they say this, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in General Congress, assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge, probably some deity, not probably God, not everybody was a Christian in that Congress, We appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, they declare that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states. They repeat that phrase twice. Free and independent states. And the last sentence in that venerable document is this. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I mean, we could almost say amen at the end. But by definition, intercession means depending on something or someone outside of myself precisely because I am unable to do certain things. So in American spirit, the fundamental spirit, American spirit, spirit or American self is a free spirit, right? Independent spirit. Anything less than that means death. So when we introduce a concept of intercession that takes 
away from you the power or the freedom or the right to stand on my own, it is just a foreign concept to the American spirit. While this spirit is a good spirit, we as Christians, we must guard ourselves against this. If this means autonomous spirit, obviously, the Bible is against such spirit. Remember what Apostle Paul said, one of the most audacious claims that he made in the Bible. Apostle Paul said this, I can do all things. But he doesn't stop there. I can do all things through who? Through him who strengthens me. Growth in grace means growth in your dependence on all sufficient God. The first thing that I want to mention is that as we go about learning about intercession, we must depend on God for all things, even in prayer, during prayer, as we shall see. That's the first thing that I want us to think about. American self. The second self is a modern self. Obviously, this is a secular self that I am going to describe. Wouldn't you agree that you could describe a modern self with three words, power, pleasure, and profit? Well, those were the MOs of humanity since the fall. It's human history. But what's different now about those power, pleasure, profit in this 2020-21 era modern self is that now they are pursued without shame, without limit, without apology, without restraint. Pleasure and profit let us set aside. Power. Think about power. It is not that we are powerful, but we think we are powerful in many ways. But now, replacing God with the self has been at the heart of idolatry. But now, that self is given a legal power. And that is seen more than anywhere else in American society than the sexual revolution. Remember sexual revolution in the 60s with hippies and whatnot? It began in the 60s, sexual revolution. But it came past decade or so, a couple of decades. It has become sexual revolution in that my orientation is whatever I want it to be. Human rights issue, same-sex marriage. Maybe you have noticed it. You may not. You may not. But now that same-sex marriage has morphed into what debate past couple of years at least? Gender identity. So it started with, I choose my partner in whatever I want, whomever I want. Two, my sexual identity is whatever I want it to be. But now it goes a step farther in gender identity. The definition gender identity is defined as a personal conception of oneself. That's where we underline. As a personal conception of oneself as male or female 
or rarely both or neither. This concept is intimately related to the concept of gender role, which is defined as the outward manifestations of personality that reflect the gender identity. Gender identity is now detached from God-given biological birth identity. So you will hear something like, I am man trapped in a woman's body. This is the spiritual rebellion against God at its height. I define my sexuality in whatever way I want it to be, no matter what my body says I am. That's where we are in 2021 when we talk about self. Not us, but this is a secular self. So in many of LinkedIn or Twitter accounts, whatever people have their own bio on the top, at the top, they will now designate, I'm sure you have noticed it, he, she, whatever, both. So if I am like, look like this, I could declare myself to be male, female, or neutral, it. Listen to Carl Truman, in a recent book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. In this way, in this sexual revolution, they lead to a prioritization of the individual's inner psychology or feelings and intuitions. Did you hear that? It is not so much of my reason, but my inner psychology and my feeling is what defines reality. I define my reality. And increasingly, the laws, they are siding with that or those claims. So what sits on the throne of God is not self, but inner feeling is sitting on the throne these days. It sounds benign. Okay, I mean, it is whatever you say you are. But if you look more closely, that psychological self or inner self that is sitting on the throne is a very hostile self. Listen further to Truman in Sexual Revolution. Revolution is not simply 60s or even 90s, even past few years of same-sex marriage, but it has become in this fashion. It involves the abolition of traditional sexual ethics in their entirety. More than that, it has come in certain areas such as that of homosexuality to require the positive repudiation of traditional sexual morass to the point where belief in or maintenance of such traditional views has become to be seen as ridiculous, even as a sign of serious mental or moral deficiency. 60s, it was about, I choose my partner. Don't tell me what to do. Later on, it has become a human rights issue that I marry whomever I want to marry. Past few years, it has gone to extreme and saying, 
I, my inner feeling define, it will define who I am, no matter what my body is. And that's not it, as Truman says. They will turn around and point a finger at you and say, what do you say about this? This sexual revolution in 2021 has become a new shibboleth. Remember that? You pronounce it. If you cannot pronounce like us, we kill you. That happened in the book of Judges. If you do not renounce your traditional old religious view, if you do not renounce it, then I will make you walk the plank. That is where we are in 2021 with modern secular self. So, modern secular self is a psychological self, inner feeling self, it is a fluctuating self, fragile self, inside out like a monster self, unmoored boat in a hurricane self, detached from body self. That's what we are dealing with in 2021. Not here, but outside of church. That's, that's where the society is at. And only Christianity gives you the high view of both soul and body. Bible declares, don't you know that you are the temple? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Glorify God in your body. And talks about spiritual body that we are going to receive. Modern self is such whatever self because modern self is enabled by modern technology and medicine. They could go and do a surgery on their bodies to change their identity. Now protected by the law, promoted by the culture and profit-seeking entities, and taught by the education system. But because, as you know, that self is built upon Satan's lie, built upon a sinking sand, it will crumble. And they will face void, hollowness, emptiness, meaninglessness in their pursuit of making their own realities for themselves. That's where we are. If we want to then to evangelize, that's what we are dealing with. And as I was thinking about this, John Calvin's Institute, chapter 1, came to my mind. I don't remember much from his book. It's so complicated. But I remember chapter 1 because it's the very first chapter. And he begins his two-volume of systematic theology. 1536, first edition. With the title, very first chapter's title is this, The Connection Between the Knowledge of God and the Knowledge of Ourselves. What he says in the very first two paragraphs is that, True knowledge of self cannot be separated from the knowledge of God, vice versa. He doesn't know which one comes first. I think this is not a religious statement. How can someone define self? You may say, this is Christian talk, this is religious talk, this is pastor's talk. But you take out the reference point of God, it is whatever people say it is. Reality is whatever you say it is, 
which does not have any realistic bearing upon true reality. I hope not, but we are headed toward what Europe has already gone through. They took out Christian morality and religion a long time ago. What will replace that void is not utopia. What will, what will replace the void of Christian morality and religion is not reasonable human beings reasoning together. What will replace that is immorality. By the way, immorality sounds fun, but in the end it is empty. It will be misery upon misery on that human condition. But what will replace that void, as it has been happening in Europe, is militant Islam. There is no neutral ground. And as I see it, what, hap- what was happening in France is to resist that Islam, they do not have any category to fall back on because they took our Christian morality out. Well, the only thing they have left is the ethnicity. And I fear that there will be rise of ultra-nationalism, which always ends up in massacre or war, traditionally. That's the summary of modern self in a brief term. There is danger in autonomous spirit who prizes independence is a good thing and dependence as weak and, 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 and if not, death warrant. In the world it might be, but in the Bible, in Christianity, the opposite is true. As I said, I start with biblical view of self because Bible leads us there. Once again, 826 says this, In the same way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit also helps our weakness or weaknesses, depending on the translations. Let's pause and think about that verse for a second. Romans 8, verse 26. In your head, if you know Romans, flipping through pages of Romans, where are we in Romans 8? Romans 8, Apostle Paul, he already talked about glorious gospel in its entirety. Okay, So when 8.26 says, helps our weakness our, including Apostle Paul himself, that self in 8.26 in the Bible in Romans is justified self. It is sanctified or being sanctified self. It is being glorified self. And if you remember chapter 7 and 8, toward chapter 7 and 8, he knows what it means to be in the depth and in the heights. And listen to this. That's, this is a very famous verse in chapter 7 and verse chapter 8. Wretched man that I am, Apostle Paul says. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of his death? And immediately he says what? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 8.1, that glorious declaration, therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you read on entire chapter 8, the self that is described in Romans 8 is a triumphant self. It is glorious self. 
in the Holy Spirit. But toward the end of the eighth chapter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Apostle Paul says, Holy Spirit helps our witness, our weaknesses, saying, Biblical view of self in Romans 8 teaches us, even after the redemption, because of remaining sin in us, we are weak. Listen to a couple of theologians explaining the word weakness or weaknesses or infirmities. It is a comprehensive term in itself and covers the whole range of the weakness which characterizes us in this life. Weakness is not sin, nor is it suffering. Paul is simply referring to the fact that we are who are Christians are not spiritual giants we would like to be. We are weak, and left to ourselves, we will always be in trouble. And he is describing the overall weakness of human nature. But I could almost hear someone saying, You see, Pastor Sam, that is not true. Bible tells us that we are strong, mighty, and victorious. Don't tell me I am weak after the redemption. That might be the case before conversion, but post-conversion self, I am, I am strong. I am, I am victorious. I need to go claim the land for the sake of Christ. I don't need that weakness talk. I understand. But I remind you, that is what the Bible actually says in Romans 8, 26. Uh, and where it is situated in the argu- entire argument of Romans 8. That's why I asked you earlier to look up 2 Corinthians 12. Let me ask you this question. Was Apostle Paul a weak person or strong person? How would you describe him? Is he a weak Christian or strong Christian? Was he a weak man or a strong man? What is your answer? Well, either way, it's a trap question. It's a trick question. You shouldn't answer because he's both. He's neither, but he's both at the same time. I thought this was a very realistic view of Christian. In Romans 26, before he introduces the topic of prayer, he tells us we are weak and we are in need of help. The very Holy Spirit even in our prayer, because we don't know how to pray, what to pray for. And in that, the heart of the self in 826 teaches us is that we are weak. But let me expand on that a little bit more, and then we will be done. Do you have 2 Corinthians 12 in front of you? I hope you do. Your phones and apps, whatever. I am sorry, I should have given you this passage. 2 Corinthians 12. Once again, before we read, what's Corinthian church? Remember Corinthian church? Corinthian church is a strong church. Full of gifts. Powerful church. But full of issues and problems. Precisely because they were too strong. To them, he speaks as a father. To them. 
in Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, the context is that he is telling them, you know what? God took me up to the third heaven. God showed me the paradise, but I cannot talk about it. It's too great. But God did something to me. Because I've seen something that no man could utter or speak on these things. God has given me a thorn in the flesh. I don't know if you remember that. To keep me humble from exalting myself. God gave me a thorn in my side. That is the context. So let me read 2 Corinthians 12. If you have your phones, whatever apps I'm reading from NAS, let me read from verse 1 to verse 10. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, that's himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, out of body I do not know, God knows. Such a man, referring to himself, was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and hard, inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Verse 5, On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my witnesses. Here he introduces the term witnesses. Verse 7, I'm skipping verse 6. Verse 7, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me passive sense. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. To keep me from exalting myself. We do not know what that thorn is. But he doesn't like it. So verse 8 says, Concerning this, I implore the Lord. What did he say? I implore the Lord. So the Lord in Apostle Paul is usually Jesus Christ. So he's praying to Jesus, not God the Father. Concerning this, I implore the Lord three times that in my leave me, whatever it is, thorn in the flesh. He said to me, and he said to me, that's Christ. He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, and he expands his weaknesses here, with insults, with distresses, persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, or whenever I am weak, then I am strong, or I am powerful, is the statement. What weakness here is not, number one. This is not a statement about general or universal statement or mechanism. Like God helps those who help themselves. As long as someone's weak, God will show himself. That is not the case, right? Also, here he is not saying weakness is an excuse for sin or remaining in sin. It really, when you think about it, this is a uh, Christological statement. 
It is bound to Christ. This was given by God. The thorn was given by God, by Christ to him. To what? To keep him humble. He was a well-educated man, as you know, Pastor Paul. He was a, a strong man like spiritual navy seals. He will go places. He will not die. Three times shipwrecked, still swimming, not sinking, planting, teaching, building churches, all kinds of stuff. He has seen a lot because God revealed directly to him. But in God's wisdom, why do you think Christ has given him a thorn to keep him humble? In other words, to keep him useful. You see, strong Paul is useless in Christ's kingdom because he will not rely upon God's strength. No man is exempt from that. So wise and gracious Christ, who loved and set apart Apostle Paul for his kingdom, he's doing a good job. But yet, he gives him a thorn to keep him humble. Again, to keep him useful. And his conclusion at the end of verse 10 was, For when I am weak, then I am strong. That strength comes from where? Christ said, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Power belongs to Christ. Weakness belongs to Paul. So, whenever, when I am weak, that is the dwelling place or conduit for Christ's strength. So, he declares, then I am powerful. I am strong. That's the conclusion of it. You may say, you know, I don't have a thorn in my side. You may. But we don't have a thorn like Paul's. We don't know what that was. But I told you in verse 10, thorn was the beginning of his understanding of his weakness. So he expands it to these words. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. So whatever that comes in his ways, other than the thorn that Christ gave him, whatever makes me feel weak, makes me weak, he says, there I am. That's where Christ perfects his strength in my weaknesses. So I exalt in my weaknesses. I lift up my weaknesses to Christ so that Christ may reach out and, and grabs me and, and gives me his power. That's, the, that's his testimony. Before we end, think about what, what this means. You and I will embrace prayer, which is an essential part of Christian life, only if you nod with Apostle Paul that that's right. Though I am saved, I am weak. That has to be presupposed before any one of you could come to the throne of grace. We call that total surrender. As long as it is within my power, how many of us will come in prayer to God? 
Don't you know it is usually when we feel powerless we go to God? That's why the suffering is school of prayer. It invites us to prayer because we realize that I am but a dust. I do not have power. It is a warning for Christians who have been Christian for a long time. Why? Because as we grow older, we grow in our wisdom. We grow in our biblical knowledge. We grow in many places. Past month or so, I've heard two men leaving the ministry. One voluntarily, one involuntarily. One resigned, one was fired. The second news shook me. As whenever these you hear about moral failings, it really doesn't hit you unless you know that person. Think about who falls in Christian walk. It is not fearful person or weak person. I dare say they are all strong people, mighty people, who are on top of their games. And I'm thinking, you achieve that, I mean, what more do you want? Well, I mean, you are at a place where many of us would dream to be, and that person falls. And I know that man. He taught at a seminary. His, his church grew to be 1,200 in downtown somewhere. He's branching out. He was branching out with multiple staffs. Um, I met him once, or a few times. He's tall man and handsome man, full of charisma. He stare at you, your heart will melt like Brad Pitt's stare. I mean, he is just uh, full of himself, full of pride. Who would come to the prayer? Who would pray? I ask you honestly. It's not because we are lazy. It's not because we don't have time. Really, when we think about it, we do not share the same view as Apostle Paul. He says, we our weaknesses. He saw himself in Romans 8. Still, Holy Spirit has to help us in our own prayer. Strong self, independent, autonomous self will rely on his or her own talent, natural talent, God-given gifts. It would be sufficient. It's not like uh, the, uh, David going out in the name of God of Israel, but full of armory going out to war, relying upon himself. I will end with this statement from a theologian commenting on that Second uh, Corinthian chapter. He says this, Within the sphere of the gospel, witness opens saving communication with God in Christ, in confession, lament, thanksgiving, and praise. The question is whether they will continue to grasp the power of Christ, which is present only in weakness, or substitute other powers for it. Brothers and sisters, whatever your situation is, We as Christians, we all know we must pray. But I am telling you, unless you see yourself as weak, 
I cannot do anything apart from our God. Even going to prayer meeting, even opening up my mouth to pray, you must depend on the Spirit in order for you to do that. And I pray that all of us could be such a humble people. So, I will end with my own statement. Biblical self, listen carefully, biblical self is not simply a weak self. Rather it is, whenever I am weak, then I am strong in Christ's might self. You begin with weakness, but you do not end in weakness. Because when you rely upon Christ, He will fill you up with His own might. So I hope and pray that all of us could say with Paul, Whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Lord, I am weak. Come and take your place in my heart and be my king, is our confession and prayer. Let's pray.